right, and welcome everybody to an episode of EM Over Easy. I am joined with my co-hosts, Drew and Tanner, and a lovely guest today, Yaron Ivan, a pediatric emergency medicine attending that works alongside me in Orlando, Florida. But before we get into the episode, guys, how are we doing? I mean, Great. I'm doing pretty good. I, I, You forgot to introduce Drew's mustache, though. Yeah, my mustache oh. is very upset right now. That's correct. That's correct. So, on behalf of the ACOAP and the Emo Over Easy podcast, <laughs> I would like to welcome Drew's mustache to the program. Mustache, how you doing? Mustache feels very good now. So, this is our first episode for uh, Emo Over Easy and ACOAP that we've recorded, and we wanted to kind of go back to some basics and talk about pediatric emergency medicine. And in this, we wanted to bring on an expert, and so I reached out to Yaron, and he was more than happy to come on. So, Yaron, thank you so much for being willing to come on the program. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Um, to give you a little bit of background, Yaron uh, is originally from Tel Aviv, Israel. Uh, met, came to the States through a girl. I feel like that's a story that happens a lot. We do a lot of things for the women in our life. Yes. That's correct. And, but, but now practices pediatric emergency medicine in Orlando, Florida. And so we w just wanted to kind of talk about the general approach to the pediatric patient. I feel like this is one of those foundational conversations that you need to have if you're going to go into emergency medicine. Because even if you work in a place that you know, doesn't see kids, kids will come to your emergency department. Parents have a way of seeing an emergency department sign and bringing their children to us. And so we kind of wanted to go through some basics on how to take care of the pediatric patient. So when we were just, when this outline started getting done, Yaron talked, uh, Yaron and I talked a little about how we wanted to go about this. And he has some rules that I love now that I've read the outline that he wanted to go through. And so Yaron, why don't you start with rule one and then okay. we'll kind of start, go from there and we'll start talking about it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks again for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, so, you know, I do pediatric emergency medicine in my world. 18 years or older is geriatrics. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't deal with it. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I trained uh, during my fellowship in Pittsburgh in, in like under a set of rules. My Many of my attendings operated under those really cool, easy to remember rules. And they would often mention them during patient care. Rule number one, it's not the patient's job to prove that they're sick. It's your job to prove that they're not. This is something I think about every shift, every day. Uh, and I got to tell you, it has served me well. My favorite example demonstrating that rule is, you know, when I was a resident not too long ago, um, when we saw a newborn with fever, you would do what we call the full septic workup. So you got to prove the patient is not sick. You got to get a blood culture and a urine culture, uh, maybe a CSF culture, maybe a chest x-ray, etc. cetera. Uh, and just a few years ago when I became an attending, we have this really accurate, sensitive, and specific resp respiratory viral panel that basically tests for like 17 different very common viruses. Uh, and you can get an answer within two or three hours if the patient has a virus and chalk up the fever for the virus. Uh, and I often teach the residents, if you swab a child, a newborn with a fever, and the respiratory viral panel is positive, you have just proven that he has a benign respiratory illness that may or may not cause this fever. But you did not, did not prove that the patient is not sick. You still have to do the full septic workup. You still have to get me the blood culture, the urine culture, the CSF culture, because that is essentially the only way to rule out an SPI and to prove that the child is not sick. The fact that the child is a rhinovirus, that's very nice, but that does not prove that he's not sick. So that's one of the way I kind of one of the ways I demonstrate that rule 
And to me, that's the most important rule. Uh, kids cannot advocate for themselves. Oftentimes, their physical exam is, is very confounded by crying. Uh, you know, you can't hear the lung sounds. You can't feel the abdomen. Um, you got to do whatever it is you need to do to prove that the patient is not sick. That's rule number one. I think that's just good foundational emergency medicine, and particularly true in the pediatric world when the patients can't advocate for themselves and, and give you the story. But in the adult world, we see a lot of that, too. We have geriatric patients or obtunded patients that really can't tell you what's going on. And maybe in those situations, it's more obvious that they're sick. But, uh, you know, when I work with my residents, uh, the, the question always is, what do we have to make sure this isn't? Right. You know, right. what? it's not about making a diagnosis in emergency medicine. Sometimes we make one. A lot of times the patient leaves with the same diagnosis they walked into the uh, emergency with as the chief complaint, right? They, they come in with abdominal pain and nausea and yep. vomiting, and they leave the ED with the diagnosis of abdominal pain with nausea and vomiting. But in the process, we've made sure it's not those bad things. You know, we've ruled out the cholecystitis or appendicitis or, or whatever else you want to have on your differential. So I, I think certainly pausing with your pediatric patients and making sure that, that that you are proving they're not sick is an incredibly important thing to do. But really, when we take a step back, that's just it's good medicine, particularly in the emergency medicine setting, as opposed to some of our other settings. So that that's a that's a great rule number one, I think, just to practice, period. Yeah, uh, no, I agree with you. Thank you for that. Um, and, and, and I agree with you. I mean, I think in the pediatric emergency department, uh, unfortunately, uh, a lot of kids or a lot of parents rather live, leave a little frustrated. You know, they came in with abdominal pain and they want to know the answer. Uh, and I often tell them, I'm, I'm not a diagnostician. I'm not here really, unfortunately, to tell you what the belly pain is from. But I know, and full confidence when I say that, I know it's nothing serious. It's nothing surgical. And little John is going to be okay. The way I explain it to the residents, that's also one of the rules. I'm not in the business of winning. I just don't want to lose. If I send home a child with abdominal migraine, he's going to be fine. I just don't want to send home that child with appendicitis that he gets a perforated appendix and comes home tomorrow. I just uh, don't want to lose. I love that phrase. I'm not in the business of winning, just not in the business of losing. That's, That's correct. fantastic. It might be Thank my you. new motto. You can borrow it. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you credit for it. I mean, it really is. That's the epitome of emergency medicine of, of all stages and of, of life. You are, you are trying to make sure that you're not going to, to miss something that's going to cause something horrific or bad to your patient, but we may not figure out exactly what's going on, which is, is pretty common. That's correct. I'm going to take a, a quick veer just just to illustrate the point. So my, my dad, this was about nine months ago, was was having some some pretty bad abdominal pain. Calls me. It's it sounds like flank pain, maybe kidney stones. Never had a history of kidney stones. Um, he goes to the local emergency department in the small town that he lives in. There for a couple hours. At one point, I talk to the the emergency medicine doc and and we talk about some testing and what to do. And then he leaves and he calls me. He goes, God, this is great. I got all these diagnoses. And he starts <laughs> listing them off to me. And uh, the diagnoses were renal colic, hydronephrosis, and uh, lymphadenopathy. And I go, Dad, those are just findings, right? We have no <laughs> idea what's causing any of this, and we've just started. But he felt so gratified by the fact that he had three medical terms to apply to his condition, not just my side hurts, uh, which is so true with uh, what we do in, in medicine. We just apply a fancy name to it and then uh, send them on their way. But uh, enough of that. That's so, Arun, I, I think there's uh, – more rules. Uh, yeah, there are a lot more rules. And actually, one of them has to do with what you just mentioned. Uh, you know, in the, 
I don't like to say adult emergency department because you guys take care of kids as well, but in the general emergency department, um, you know, most of your patients are really old uh, with a lot of comorbidities and what we call polypharmacy. Uh, it's really the exact opposite for me in pediatric emergency medicine. So most of my patients are what I call mono-disease patients. And in my world, I often teach the residents in most cases, less is more. So that's really rule number two, less is more. Uh, and, you know, it, it's really interesting to see how the literature in pediatric emergency medicine really supports uh, less is more. So, uh, you know, in, in, a lot of parents come to the ER uh, with what is essentially normal behavior misinterpreted as uh, serious or dangerous, uh, stuff like that. And, and, you know, most commonly fever. So, you know, I, I see a lot of I see a lot of patients with fever and a lot of parents that come in very worried about fever. Uh, and I often, you know, do nothing for those kids. Uh, you know, I, I get a good history, which is extremely important. Uh, I make sure the child is vaccinated for his age, which is, you know, easy to ask or even look at the uh, vaccination chart, the um, vaccine schedule. Uh, and if the child is vaccinated, he is up to date on his vaccines. He has no red flags by history or exam and I diagnose a URI, I really do nothing. And I encourage the parents to do nothing because essentially there's no way you can change the course of the uh, this disease. Uh, whatever you do, the child is going to get better. And sometimes the less you do is better. Um, the less you do, the better. Um, if you go to CVS and I tell that to the parents, you're going to see literally dozens, if not hundreds of medications for viral illnesses. Um, essentially, none of them does anything. Uh, and the kid is going to get better on his own no matter what you do. So I think it's very important to emphasize to the students and the residents and to the parents, just less is more. Leave the child be and he is going to get better no matter what. Um, the other way I demonstrate that rule is really by uh, doing uh, procedures only when necessary. So a lot of kids come in with minor cuts and minor injuries and I can suture them and I can glue them and, you know, I can put them in a splint. But it really, if there's really minor injury, uh, oftentimes it's better to just leave them alone and let them get better on his own, on their own and make sure the parents understand that. And the less you do is better. So that's rule number two. Less is more. That's such a fantastic rule for pediatrics, I feel. Uh, probably the most common conversation I have uh at 3 a.m. since I'm mostly a nocturnist at this point, uh, when somebody comes in or, or I guess when a patient comes in and their parents are concerned about whether it's fever or cough or, you know, whatever the complaint is, most of the time it's a long conversation of fevers are okay. That's a natural process the body is doing and, and spending time with them and explaining things is really the only thing that I end up doing, but it feels like more because it's the process of education for the patient and the parents um, to go kind of go through that process. And, you know, I, you could order all the kinds of tests in the world, but if you know that it's a viral URI, that's going to get better with time and, and patience um, spending a little extra time in that room and talking with them helps them in the future. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you completely. Uh, uh, and I, I, w I would add to that uh, going back to the vaccination that, Nowadays, you know, United States 2020, um, it's actually quite hard to find a bacterial illness in normal, healthy, vaccinated child. Um, you know, if you ask my mentors, uh, otitis media was obviously very, very common with PCV13, 
even otitis media, pneumonia, definitely bacteremia, and everybody knows about epiglottitis, they're just rare diseases. And most of the time, the child really has a viral illness. And like you said, I, I find myself sitting with the parents and explaining that a two-year-old gets 104 from every little virus. That's okay. Uh, and I discourage from treating the fever if the child is happy with the fever. As long as he's drinking, breathing comfortably, let the fever be. It's totally fine. In fact, the literature suggests that kids who get Tylenol around the clock are often sick for longer just from a benign viral illness because we're basically inhibiting the immune system. Very I think that's the ultimate. The ultimate less is more right there. You know, treat, treat the symptoms, not the fever itself if they're miserable Correct. bring that fever down i think this is a hard concept for general emergency medicine uh, practitioners and I, I think you're right we need to not define ourselves as adult emergency medicine because we see pediatrics sure. uh, relatively commonly but you know the, the super young kids you were just talking about the serious bacterial infections and your your less than 60 days or less than 90 day kids they get big workups even if they are uh, positive on your viral screen our typical adult patients typically get pretty big workups. It is hard sometimes as a general emergency medicine physician to pause in the immune competent pediatric patient and go, I don't need to do all this, right? They, they have developed their immune system. They're otherwise healthy. They're up to date on vaccination. So they, they fall beyond that range where we have to worry about the, the serious bacterial infections, but they're not yet adults where I also have to worry about these serious bacterial infections and to just check yourself uh, before you wreck yourself onto these big workups. And it's a hard thing to do because it's something that we're not used to so much in the, the general emergency department setting. Yeah, I agree, I agree with you, Andrew. And I think my, my, my favorite story about that one, uh, when I was a fellow in pediatric emergency medicine, for some reason, people decided that I also had to do two months, no less, of adult emergency department. <laughs> And I would never forget, in the adult emergency department, I didn't function as a fellow. I was just a resident. So I, I signed up for this young, I'd like to think he was young, 45-year-old, uh, with abdominal pain. And I go in there, and he looks, you know, before I even head to the to the room, the nurse catches me, and she's like, hey, Dr. Ivan, I got you a rainbow. I'm like, all right, that's very nice. I like I like rainbow. I, that's, <laughs> what am I doing that? PGI emergency medicine physician. <laughs> I had no idea what she was talking about. And I guess... You know, she basically went in there before I even saw the guy and got the whole slew of labs, uh, even though he was fine. Uh, in the pediatric emergency medicine department, we do not do that. I often encourage the residents to do as little as possible. And I often encourage them to get the test that gives you an answer. My favorite example is a CBC. A child with a fever is going to have leukocytosis. A child with a fever in the first day or two is going to have a left shift. What am I going to do with that? It doesn't tell me where the infection is. I can't do anything about the leukocytosis. Again, it's a normal response. So I encourage them to get the test that gives you an answer. UA tells you UTI, not UTI. That translates to antibiotics, no antibiotics. That's a good test. Uh, chest x-ray, the same. But, you know, many of the tests we do in the emergency department are not particularly helpful. There's plenty out there that would argue the CBC is for the intellectually destitute, but that's uh, a conversation for another day. <laughs> that's, that's so, Yaron, so we talked a little bit about the the immunocompetent um, children. Yes. What, you have a rule that talks a little bit about this idea of the chronically sick kid. Why don't you run through that for us? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's another um, thing I see in the pediatric emergency department, and I, I'm sure you guys see the same. Uh, a lot of parents come to the pediatric emergency department with very, very long-lasting slash chronic complaints. 
uh, abdominal pain is, exam is an example. Uh, I see a lot of parents who present with a fever that kind of mention, you know, doctor, my, my, my son gets sick all the time. He gets fever all the time. Uh, I'm really worried that his immune system is off or something like that. And I, I often teach the residents mm -hmm. and the parents that um, the single most important indicator that a child is healthy and does not have a, an immunodeficiency or some chronic serious disease is growth. So in our EMR, you can see the growth chart and because some kids present to the emergency department or to the uh, medical system, uh, often enough, you can see the growth chart. When I see normal growth, I encourage and I, I encourage the parents and I tell the parents, reassure the parents, uh, you know, mom, your child is a very healthy kid. I know he gets sick very often uh, with viruses, but essentially his growth chart indicates that he's a growing child, he's thriving. Kids with an immune deficiency or problem with the immune system, they don't grow, they don't thrive, they don't reach their milestones. Uh, your child is healthy. Uh, and, and again, I teach the residents and the medical students that. Uh, another chief complaint that I see quite often, uh, uh, abdominal pain. So, you know, it, it's 11 p.m., uh, chief complaint, abdominal pain for eight months. Uh, I, I, the first thing I do when I hear such a chronic, especially GI complaint, I look at the growth chart. And I think it's important for us to remember, uh, generally speaking, chronic abdominal pain with a worried mom, I think about Crohn's disease, inflammatory bowel disease, don't, those kids don't grow. They don't thrive. They don't gain weight. If you can look at the growth chart, that's a very, very important indicator that the child is actually healthy. And I think that's very important for the mom to hear. I also teach the parents and talk to the parents about what we call the red flags. Uh, most commonly, I see newborns uh, that the parents come to the ER. He's speeding up all the time. He's a speedy baby. I'm really worried. Uh, so I teach the parents. There are some, some rules. Um, number one, if you're baby is growing and thriving, whatever is coming in is more than is coming out, and I recommend you do nothing. And I also teach them, um, if you ever see uh, uh, spit up that is not white, I teach them what I call the white rule, anything that is green, anything that is bloody, is not normal, you come and see me. But if your child is spitting up white stuff, uh, and is growing and thriving, that's the right formula, nothing to worry. I wouldn't change anything else. Uh, so that's that's actually another another important uh, uh, rule with regards to chronicity. If your child is growing, reaching milestones, gaining weight, less is more. Let's just repeat that real quick. So so red flags for you, uh, particularly for younger kids, is no mm -hmm. weight loss, or if they're losing weight. Uh, losing weight or not gaining weight. Losing weight or not gaining weight. Vomiting bile, non-white vomit, uh, or vomiting blood, and then of course blood in the stool is is concerning. So those are That's really good red flags to think about in your younger pediatric patients to yeah. to check yourself to make sure that we don't have those things as we're getting ready to discharge them home with parental concerns. Correct, and I think the parents should hear those rules and and, and think about them uh, and understand that. When the white rule is violated, you come and see me. I think that's fantastic. I'm not going to lie. I, I love the concept of the growth chart and, and using that as actual data to help you determine if this is an actual issue or not. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's one thing that I think probably gets forgotten pretty easily within the emergency department because 
we typically deal with acute stuff, quote unquote, uh, as opposed to the long term. But in, in pediatrics, the, that growth chart is really important to know that things are going consistently the right direction. And, Correct. and I, that is something that I will definitely be using in the future to make sure that I am monitoring my patients as well as I can, if that's a possibility in my, in my area. But, um, man, that's a, that's a great tip on using the growth chart for, for some data to not only help us as clinicians, but also help communicate to the parents what's going on. Yeah. And and I want to just emphasize, cause you know, one of you said that I don't necessarily look for weight loss. Weight loss will be a very extreme red flag. Just lack of weight gain, uh, for me is a very big red flag. And you can see that on the growth chart. If the kid is uh, falling off the chart or loses percentile, it doesn't have to be weight loss per se. And I think what the important take home point of that is when you look at the chart, it's going to look like weight loss because as the kid's getting older, that, that percentile is going down. They're, they're falling off. Um, that's not necessarily that they're losing weight, but they're not keeping with their, their percentile weight gain. Exactly. Um, and, yeah. and that's no matter what modern EMR you use, that's pretty easy to find and, and shows up. In fact, I used that just the other day in the emergency department to prove to a mom that the child's spit up that was white even though I didn't know that was a red flag rule, uh, was perfectly fine and the child was gaining weight and, and doing well. So what do you do with that mom or dad that is insistent upon testing? Uh, you know, aren't you going to run any tests? You haven't done anything. And we hear that all the time in the emergency department. I came here, I was yes. here for three hours and you haven't done anything. What's your response and how do you manage that situation? So let me just by say, let me just start, start by saying, uh, due to the less is more rule, uh, what you just said is an extremely common complaint. If I had a dollar for every time, I probably wouldn't be, wouldn't have to uh, pay medical school loans. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's beside the point. Um, you know, I, I think it's very, very important. And I teach the residents that all the time in pediatric or emergency medicine, uh, to accommodate, uh, and work with the parents. Um, I always teach them worried parents come back and not only they come back, they come back to a different ER and now the whole process starts again. So rule number four, I think it's rule number four, number five is worried parents don't go home. I do not send home worried parents. I do work with them to make sure I reassure them. But, uh, and again, that's very important for me as a pediatric provider. I would do whatever I need to do to reassure them as long as my primary commitment to the patient is not broken. Um, and I'll give you an example. Uh, a few months ago, I had a child with a fairly mild head injury. Uh, he was about two or three hours out, uh, had a normal exam, and the mom begged me uh, to do a head CT. Uh, and again, I want to reassure her, uh, but in my mind, uh, a head CT is breaking my commitment to the patient. Head CT involves radiation. You guys know the consequences of radiation. Uh, and to me, that's breaking the my primary commitment, which is to the patient. So instead, uh, we sat down for a good 30 minutes, I kid you not, uh, and I reassured her, reassured her, reassured her. I told her we'll be observing the child, which is sort of the um, the alternative uh, for head CT. Uh, we'll see how he does. If he's not vomiting, uh, if his exam continues to be normal, I feel very safe that he can go home and there's no serious head injury. We did that, uh, and 30 minutes later, Again, I get called into the room. Let's please do the head CT again. Um, and again, the same conversation. So uh, I, I think, it, like I said, it's very important to work with the parents, not send worried parents home as long as my commitment to the child is not broken. In my mind, uh, doing CT on a child to reassure a parent is breaking that commitment. 
in my mind, going, giving antibiotics to a child with a viral illness is breaking that commitment. But I do a lot of x-rays uh, for parents to prove to them that the child does not have pneumonia, even though I do not think there is a pneumonia. Some parents, uh, whether they're sent by their PCP or on their own, they love blood tests. They want to see that the blood tests, blood tests are good. I do a lot of CBC to reassure parents, uh, and I think that's fine. Uh, but in my mind, doing CT of the head or CT in general or uh, providing antibiotics for a child who doesn't need it is breaking that commitment. I do not do those to reassure parents. It's perfect. And it's a great conversation to have uh, with, with the parents. And oftentimes we find ourselves in the middle of the night with a child that has the fever and otitis media or the viral, or it, it's so much about treating the parent uh, much more than it is about treating the, the patient in that situation and talking them off the edge. And we've, we've been there. Anyone who has kids knows what it's like uh, to be awake for hours on end in the middle of the night with a kid that you cannot calm, uh, that is fussy, that has a fever, and it is miserable. And I am the one that needs to be talked off the ledge. The, the kid ultimately yeah. will be just fine uh, from the parent standpoint. Honestly, it doesn't my- even have to be the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> In my house, every fever is meningitis until proven otherwise. <laughs> well, it's good to know there's consistency among our wives that we have to do this a, a good amount. So, uh, Yaron, one, I want to thank you for coming on. But oh, I you're think, welcome. I, I think it's good for us to wrap up here. So uh, when we think about the rules, really the take-homes that came to my mind are, one, is that it's not the patient's job to prove they are sick. It is my job as the clinician to prove that they are not. Correct. So take that as you take histories, as you do physical exams, and as you decide what testing you need to do and not to do. The second take home is the idea that less is more. Not every patient needs a full workup. Um, as as Jerome pointed out very poignantly, these are not general adult patients where we feel the need to get these rainbow labs. Order tests that get you answers that uh, that, that are on your differential. And then the last one is, is that conversations are key to quality pediatric care. And again, that includes good conversations with the family when obtaining a history, um, good conversations with them of why you are or are not going to do anything, and then again, easing parents' minds and their worries that their child is okay and you don't have to do anything tonight and send them home with good follow-up instructions. And I think if we've, all of us, whether you're an intern or medical student or a, a, an attending, apply these three rules, our pediatric care will be enhanced. And again, Yaron, we appreciate you bringing these to the show and to the episode. Andy, you thank you, thank you guys for having me. Miss the most important part, which is we're not playing the game to win. We just don't want to lose. We just yeah. don't want to lose. We're not in the business of winning. We just don't want to lose. Well, guys, thanks so much for coming on this episode for EM Over Easy. For those listeners, don't forget to check us out for other shows at emovereasy.com and for other ACOP content at acop.org. I love the hand. The hand is creepy. I don't know what to do with my hand. It was like very obvious that you got halfway through that and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Thank you guys for having me, guys. I I appreciate it. Um, Yeah, thank you very much. That was fantastic. Very nice to meet you. Great.